Welcome to the Reggie McNeil Podcast, where we explore what it means to seek God's kingdom here on earth. Join us on our journey to become more aware of and encouraged by God's work in and around us. Welcome back. I'm your host, Hannah Barton, and I'm here with Reggie McNeil. So Reggie, you assert that the kingdom of God is life as God intends in every aspect of human existence, not just our spiritual well-being. And you also insist that the church's role in the kingdom is to partner with God's redemptive mission in the world. So how exactly do individual Jesus followers position for kingdom living and what does it look like in someone's life? Well, that's a, that's a huge question. Let me break it up. Uh, and let's first of all think about our own uh, narrative of our what we think we are about. I think how we position ourselves is we got to get the story straight first. Uh, you know, our role in the world, our privilege is to be part of God's story in the world. Uh, he's working out his story in our stories, but his plot, his big, his story is the story. And, uh, you know, many people point out his story. So I think uh, we need to go and figure out what is our call? Um, what is that narrative? And, and I actually have a specific thing that I think uh, gets, gets at this, or when I say specifically, I think there's a doctrine in Scripture that gets very little attention. Uh, it's called priesthood of all believers, and uh, it goes all the way back to Exodus 19 when the people of God had been brought out of Egypt, and uh, they've been freed as a slave nation. They come to Sinai, which was what God said Moses, to Moses, you bring your folks here, and Moses is scrambling up to the top of the mountain. It had to be a, an enormous, uh, and you know, uh, gosh, exhilarating, you know, what's going to happen. And so Moses climbs up there, and, and God begins to talk to him about, here are my designs for these people. Freedom is important in liberation, but they were liberated for something, not just liberated from something. And I think a lot of times we miss that, even in our uh, own worlds. I mean, people that deal with um, helping people overcome addictions and all that, they know that if you don't put something in the place, you know, it's not I'm trying to do without something. you got to have something that's bigger, more attractive, more compelling to keep you from that, you know, something that you're living for. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so God gives very specific instructions. You go, go back down the mountain. Moses tells folks, you saw what I've done. I brought you on eagle's wings. I'm paraphrasing. Here, I whipped the biggest king on earth, you know, and, and, and now you're here. Now you're going to be for me a kingdom of priests. And that's, that's the language that gives birth then to, uh, and it's echoed, by the way, in Scripture, uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, uh, 5 and 9, or Revelation 4. Uh, this thing about, you know, we are a kingdom of priests. Now, again, you know, we're talking, the whole context of our discussion is kingdom. So who makes up the kingdom, you know, I mean, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the folks that should know what's going on here, our job is to priest and not priest each other, priest the world. It was always about whether it's Abraham or there at Sinai or it's Jesus' great commission you know, it's all, up until Revelation, it's always about an outward focus, not an internal focus. You know, go, 
go out there with this. You know, go bless the world. Go go tell people about me. Let let them know I'm for whatever it is. So that I think if we could understand that our life then is a mission trip, it helps us position to answer your question, which is about positioning which is always about, you know, where am I? I mean, a football analogy, where I'm on the field, what's the play that's being called, uh, you know, who am I up against here, you know, what what's the, you know, what's the route I'm to run if I'm a wide receiver, whatever. I think we, we got to understand the play that, that we're in, and that's the play we're in. That's the play that's been called by the king. Um, it's it's uh, right now on planet Earth, in time and space, we have a job to do, and our life is supposed to be a mission trip where we're blessing the people around us. That would be my first answer, uh, first part of the answer, I guess, to your to your question. For us to live as viral kingdom agents, to use your language, how can we get specific with our gauge, engagement with the world? Well, I think, uh, you know, you, you've raised a good, uh, another good question, because I didn't use that phrase, but I meant to. Um you know, if we see our, our lives as a mission trip, and I talk about this a lot and write about this a lot, it's, you know, we're supposed to be uh, contagious. Um, we're viral. And I know, I mean, here in a COVID world, that has negative connotations. But, um, you know, the fact that viruses mutate and they do whatever they can to spread, uh, that's kind of supposed to be what we're thinking like. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be that determined. And if we can't get in one way, we'll get in another and we'll go in the side way or we'll, we'll mutate to the strain of the context of where we are. And, um, and, and we're, we're supposed to be viral kingdom agents. Now, what that means is I think we're supposed to exhibit the character of the king uh, and the character of the kingdom. Um, if I were to list that or say, here's a good place to look, I'd start with the Beatitudes. You know, poor in spirit, people of peace, uh, people of blessing, um, you know, um, on and on. I mean, that's not a bad place to start Just saying, you know, do the people that encounter my life, if I'm an employer or employee, a husband or father, uh, you know, wife, mother, a neighbor, whatever, sports club member, whatever, um, when people encounter me, are they getting the chance to have those kinds of of, of that character being expressed to them. And then I think it has some specific content too, uh, not just character. When Jesus said, love God with all you've got, and this is how what gets you to the character, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So I think when people uh, come up, and, and specifically how it shows up is we actually are people that are, that the people around us are better off because we're here, and our lives are being lived so intentionally that uh, that they're being helped. Now, I always ask people in my coaching or in congregational settings or workshops, you know, if you really want to get specific on how you're going to be a kingdom agent, I think you have to ask yourself five questions. And um, the, the first one of these is, well, how is it that I want to help others? Now, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I mean, if you, it teaches us if you run into someone in need, that's your neighbor. I mean, you don't have to go. So I'm assuming you're doing that. But I also think that we have certain issues that grab our attention. We have, I mean, this is how God does it. We we don't all feel the same way about 
every human condition across the board. Some of us are more drawn to helping the sick, others to helping kids learn to read so their lives are better, others to representing people uh, for justice, others for, you know, helping people uh, come out of poverty or have food or whatever. So we all have kind of the things that really jazz us. And I tell people, pay attention to the stuff that makes your heart beat a little quicker or when you're, um, you know, uh, the topic comes up, everybody else is ready to go to bed, it's late night, but suddenly you're all jazzed and you won't talk about it all night. You know, th there's a reason for that. I think those are kind of God-given uh, inclinations. I would also pay attention to the stuff that breaks our heart because uh, th that's a point of vulnerability and tenderness and empathy that I think God works with. And when I work with younglings like, uh, you know, millennials and younger Gen Zs and all, you know, I encourage that. I, I don't think when you're 20 or, or uh, for the most part, 18, 16, whatever, 20, 24, uh, 25, uh, that you necessarily know this is the contribution I want to make. So I always encourage, although some do, some have a very clear idea from the get-go. But that's why I encourage to have as many experiences as possible. So you're exposed to all this stuff so you can find out what it is that your spirit gravitates toward. A second question that I always ask people is, is what are you willing to change in your life so that that dream of helping other people can become true? Because if you, it typically means you have to, it could mean you have to change location, change your educational uh, projection, uh, you know, change how you spend your time, uh, change your money. Uh, change your energy. I mean, they're typically things that we have to do to make room in our lives for passion. And I will tell you, if we don't do those things, um, then that dream of helping other people can become a, a, a nightmare that just haunts us. And then the enemy uh, of the anti-life kingdom loves to whisper that guilt into us. See there, what a failure you are, because he knows that demoralization uh, takes us out of the game so often. So, you know, pay attention to, you know, figure out what do I need to change in my life so that I can get at that dream. Uh, for some, that's more, uh, for some people, it may be an hour a week to read, you know, to a, a first grader so they come off the at-risk literacy uh, list. <clears throat> for others, like I'm thinking about a young man here locally, it may mean leaving your job so you can give full time to the ministry that you feel compelled to do and let other people uh, help support you in that so that they can, um, uh, you know, uh, make possible uh, the chance for kids to escape the, the cycle of poverty and, and illiteracy and all that keeps them chained up. A third answer or third question that I ask people is, you know, what what is your scorecard, meaning how will you know you're making progress? Because if we don't know that will get too um, dis discouraged too easily. I mean, let's just say we go out and we take the uh, the goal off the backboard, the basketball goal, and just throw the ball up against the backboard. That's no fun. I mean, you know, that, that may be interesting for a minute or two, uh, but if you really want to play a game and you, want, you really want to see people come alive and do Herculean things, you know, like suspend... Uh, you know, gravity and, and everything else as these athletes do, um, you know, put that goal up there and they'll do whatever it takes to get. So you need to know, you know, is it how many people I've helped to le learn to read? Is it, uh, you know, how many people I've helped 
uh, not to be hungry is that how many people I've blessed this week uh, through you know praying for them and encouraging them with a personal word. It doesn't always have to be tangible something. Uh, I mean, those intangible encouragements to people sometimes are the difference in life and death in folks. So, you know, but but do, make up some kind of way that you know what you're doing matters. Uh, it'll keep you in the game. Fourth question. I know this sounds like a seminar, doesn't it? I mean, uh, my goodness. Uh, I can't. Uh, anyway, so fourth question is I ask folks, you know, what are you good at? What do you bring to the game? What do you bring to the table? I mean, uh, a good friend of mine was Don Clifton, who developed the Strengths Finder, and uh, he was chairman of the board Gallup um, for years and founded uh, the Gallup we know today, Gallup organization. And so one of Don's uh, comments was that, you know, our best shot at making our best contribution in the world is to get better at what we're already good at. And that's kind of counterintuitive in a culture where we were raised to try to make everything equal, you know, make A's in every subject. You, you know, you got four A's and a B. What are you doing, son, with that, to bring that B up to an A, you know, or uh, I'm not an athlete, so uh, go letter. Uh, you know, three sports. I mean, so you can prove that you can do it. I mean, there's a bit of it in our culture that's that that kind of has us patching our weaknesses. And um, but I believe Don is exactly right. And I think there's a re the Bible doesn't ever says we're going to be held responsible for talent we don't have, uh, but it does talk about being responsible for the talent we are given, and we come into this world with this talent, and um, and if we can understand what's in our backpack then uh, we have a better understanding, I think, of how it is we bless people. Uh, I know when I do coaching, again, with uh, individual leaders, some, and I ask them, I get at that through various ways, but as I help them identify their talents and their gifts, you know, some of them are trying to make, you know, desert trips, but their backpack's full of scuba, you know, uh, stuff. And no wonder they're frustrated and uh, and and discouraged and you know, debilitated. And it's a key strategy of the enemy uh, is to keep us working outside of the areas of our strength. And the fifth question, boy, aren't you glad we're finally getting to this? I'm glad we're finally getting to this. I mean, this has become forever. I don't know how long I've been talking. But, um, and, and that is, what do we need to learn? And um, and oftentimes, uh, it's, it, it starts with an unlearning. What do we need to unlearn? Let's just say, we are wanting, in fact, I'm going to have a, a conference call here in a couple of days uh, with a guy. I have great respect for him. His, uh, Larry James, uh, uh, you know, wrote a book called The Wealth of the Poor. He had to unlearn the typical notion that we all have. That we have it, they don't. So we're going to ride in and we're going to distribute all these gifts to these poor folks. And, you know, because we, we have the goods. And what helped him in, in what uh, and his ministry is incredible in Dallas, City Square. Uh, see, I did mention someone uh, here. So I try not to. Anyway, so what helps, and we'll interview him on this uh, uh, one of these days, uh, but for this podcast. But when Larry learned, unlearned that we're the ones with all the goods, but that there are resources in the hands of all of these uh, folks that we call, you know, the poor, the non-resource. No, they have resources of time. Uh, resources of skills, resources of relationships. They have the networks and the community. I mean, there are all kinds of resources they bring, and that's helped accelerate his capacity to actually bring the help that he, he wanted to. So oftentimes what we need to learn starts as an unlearning. Think about Paul. He had to unlearn 
so much of his pharisaical background, uh, his prejudices. I mean, he, he was raised, you know, he was taught to pray daily to thank God that he was not born a woman, uh, a Gentile, or a slave. And, and you know, you go to the uh, Philippian church, and those are the first three converts. I mean, he had to unlearn all of that in order to be the premier Christian missionary. So, you know, what do we need to unlearn to make room uh, for the new learnings that we have? Sorry, Hannah, I know that went on and on and on. <laughs> Hannah, wake up, Hannah. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, I, but, I, but if we want to get specific uh, to your question about how we actually help people, I think it requires an intentional uh, plan in our lives and, and a reflection over those five questions. What do you see as the power of prayer in becoming a viral kingdom agent? You know, um, prayer unlocks the resources of God. I think I said in an earlier episode, uh, I grew up with the notion of prayer as God's gift to me so I could bring him up to speed. And more and more prayer is uh, God's way to bring me up. I see it as God's gift to bring me up to speed. Literally, I don't, I mean, gosh, I was taught how to pray. I mean, I wrote a whole series of Sunday school lessons once for my denomination, 13 weeks of lessons uh, on how to pray. Not one single lesson in there was on how to listen in case God had anything to say back. I mean, talk about a one way. It was a monologue and prayer's not designed as a monologue and the great saints of the, in the Bible and, and this side of the Bible have all shown that, and yet we just, you know, we fill up our prayer life with all of this gibberish that we, you know, we're bringing God, we're telling him stuff that he already knows, we're outlining possible strategies for him, and, and you know, and then begging him to show up, and more and more, I'm, I'm asking, I actually use prayer life to reflect over my day, and I just let coach, you know, kind of play the tape. And, um, I mean, football coaches, this is what they do. I mean, they bring in players and say, we've watched film. Here's what we learned. You see that? That's why you do. You made a great play there. See that? That's why you got hurt. Uh, you know, don't do that again. I mean, you know, it, and, and it's both for the team and for individual players. Well, you know, coach, uh, God is able to run that film for us. And so oftentimes now my my, uh, you know, if you want to call it quiet time, I hate that phrase. That's like what preschoolers do after lunch, you know, to go to sleep. It's rarely quiet in my quiet time because I'm, uh, you know, pots and pans are being messed around. You know, God's doing some surgery, whatever. But I just let him go through and show me, you know, what the day's like, what, you know, last night I was thinking, uh, I, I think I reflect both directions. So I was reflecting on today and what we would be doing as well as reflecting over yesterday and some calls that I had. And, you know, and it's interestingly for me, that's at night. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, that write books tell people to get up in the morning. That's, that's never been my best time. And I'd like to say to those people that in the scripture, God's day always begins at night. I just don't want to talk about this anymore. I mean, evening and morning, the Bible says, the first day. Sabbath begin and then... Uh, resurrections. Well, God even turns day into night to pull off, uh, you know, the redemption on the cross. And then the resurrection happens at night. All those Easter sunrise services, they drive me crazy because, uh, you know, we should have Easter's midnight services. He was already gone at sunrise. He rose through that. All right, I don't talk about that. So, um, but but my prayer is, um, I, I'd just rather listen 
because I tell you, coach has got a lot more to say. And, and he says it. And if you can finally trust him, and I'm not saying that I do all the time. I mean, there was something I was talking, uh, listening and talking with him about last night. And I said, I really don't, I, I know I need to change my mind about it, but I really wish you'd leave me alone. You know, and um, I mean, I'm not proud of that. I'm not saying that is, but you know, uh, there's a certain level of trust that you finally come to. You want's good for you, so I trust you with how you're going to work this out, or whatever you've shown me that I need to do uh, to to be a person of blessing to that to that life that uh, need uh, whatever. So kind of going off of that, you talk a lot about being people of hope. How does that tie into kingdom living? You know, Peter uses that phrase, always being able to give, or we're supposed to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And honestly, uh, as I think I've shared with you before, hope is an evidence of the kingdom in my estimation. I mean, why? I mean, the history of the world is a history of stuff that keeps happening, wars, famine, injustice, whatever. Um, why are humans persistent with hope? Why do we have it? We, I mean, where does it come from? Because, um, and, and I, also, I actually think the atheist has more a problem. I mean, for Christians, of course, our, our challenge is always, you know, the problem of evil and suffering. Why is there so much evil and suffering in a world with a good God? I think it's far more challenging to ask the question, why is there so much good in the world? You know, <laughs> when there's so much that militates against it, how can you explain, you know, this ongoing, you know, achievement, uh, you know, in trying to better people's lives, trying to solve these intractable issues, you know, trying to make a turn in things. And so I think hope drives that, and hope is an evidence of the kingdom that's in us that says there is a better reality and it's all around us. We just need to unlock it and um, and, and help people through the portal to get to it. So, so I think we should be, as kingdom people, we should be people that are espousing a hopeful agenda. Um, our country's torn apart right now, as I'm writing this, as we're doing this podcast. You know, uh, I don't know how long this podcast lasts out there, but years from now, uh, I will tell you, it's a very dark uh, time in America uh, while we're doing this. And, and and God's people could make a difference if we would step into that and say, we don't have to live as if people that disagree with us are the enemy. You know, we don't have to extinguish each other to um, for our agenda to be, I mean, if we learn to, you know, love our neighbors, sacri- I mean, the early church figured this out. They did not have a government that was, uh, you know, partial to them. I mean, for crying out loud. They had a government that uh, at certain times would kill them uh, for their faith. Well, how did the church become such a force in that world? And we know it did because it uh, acts of sacrificial love staying behind, helping the sickies during uh, periods of plagues, rescuing baby girls that had been abandoned on the doorsteps of Roman homes, uh, bringing them home and uh, giving them life and nurturing them 
so that, you know, a generation later, all those Roman men looking for wives, who, when they finally would take one, you know, they're all Jesus followers, and they had got a new virus in their family. So, you know, that to me, that is the hopeful way we should be looking at the world and offering our lives. And um, and so our dreams for a better world and a, and a better us, as far as I'm concerned, are kingdom markers by virtue of our being created in the image of God, moving closer to that reality and helping others do the same, I think, is really what life's all about. Well, thank you for helping us kind of understand the kingdom of God more fully and how to accelerate our impact as kingdom people in the world. You can find more of Reggie's work on his website, reggiemcneil.org, or on Facebook and Twitter at Reggie McNeil. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Reggie McNeil Podcast.